Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. We are taking questions today from the Manlyhood Man Cave, which is our private Facebook group. We put a post there and asked the guys, hey, what are some questions that you've got for, for me, for Josh? Uh, and I'll let you know, if you've got answers to these questions, please feel free to hop in there and you can answer some of these questions. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, guys. So uh, we got a lot of questions, actually, and I, I named a couple of them in the intro, but we're going to go through a few more of the questions that got asked and see if I can give you my insights on these questions. But again, I'm just Josh, <laughs> and there's a lot of people out there who might even have better answers, and so I'll give you my best answers, but I don't be afraid to look up and to research and to ask somebody maybe even wiser than myself to get some answers, guys. Honestly, I think asking questions and Asking multiple people is a good way to get a better and a clearer answer. But I'll do my best to answer these questions according to what makes sense to me and according to the way I see the world. The first question is, why is it so hard to be a man in today's society? Well, I think it's always been hard to be a man. I think that uh, in the old days, it may have been more simple what was required of a man. In society back then, it was just work hard. That was it. <laughs> but I don't necessarily think it was easy. I don't think it's ever been easy. The opposite of hard. It's always been hard. And I think it always will be hard. And let's be real. I think it's hard to be a woman too. Okay? It's hard just living. Just being a person. But yes, there are things in today's society that have painted men as bad uh, we could get into all that. I think we might even touch into some of it with our other answers. I believe that the world uh, right now, a lot of the world, especially in pop culture and in media and even in government, there are people who have adopted Marxist philosophies that say that when someone is in power, they're bad and they must be torn down. And they view masculinity as being in power. Um. And, I mean, in some of that they get from statistics, right? I mean, and, and let's be real, sometimes men haven't done the best job taking, you know, really adequately, adequately representing the power they had in the past. Let's just be real. Sometimes that has happened. But I don't think that the concept of Marxism works. I don't think the cultural concept of, of critical theory works where we tear down power to uh, bring equity. I don't think it works. I think we're seeing the results of that because as soon as you tear down one power, there's another power that is created. Uh, and then you have to tear down that power. And it's just cycles, endless cycles of tearing people down. That doesn't help anybody. We need to build each other up. So that's a little bit of maybe the politics and the philosophy of why those things are happening and why it's hard to be a man because there are entities out there who think, who want the culture to believe that it's wrong to be masculine. That's why. It's difficult in today's society. But I think it's also important that really it doesn't matter what society thinks about you. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. And I think that's what I really want to get to the core of is, is it hard to be a man in society, right? Considering what they think of you as a man, who cares what they say? What's the right thing to do? How's the right way to be? Do that. I think we would be better off if we focused on less on society 
and more on the people in our circle and in our spheres of influence. Who's in your life, man, that you can impact? Your kids, your family, your neighbors, your friends, uh, the people that live in, in your community. Can you make a difference in their life? Can you show up as a man for them and will they appreciate it? Just do that. Don't worry about what society thinks. Society is falling apart and crumbling anyway. What matters is the people that are closest to you. And I think, honestly, if all of the men that are listening uh, take that and then do that and then spread the word to other men to do that, problems will be solved with society. Just take care of yours. Take care of the people around you. That's where you'll make the difference, and that's really what matters. We have another question that says, how can young men conquer loneliness in a new environment? Example, college, especially if they are introverted. So this is very difficult today because, again, society has crumbled. <laughs> and we're living in a world that doesn't really value face-to-face -face conversation. And being introverted is now something that more people are. I think before we were split or we had people who were maybe um, introverted but still social and sociable. So it is difficult for a young man to, who, is, who is feeling lonely and struggling to make friends. But guys, it, it really is going to matter because whether you're introverted or not, you need people in your life. You know, um, introverted and extroverted, I think, are myths because I think we've, I think they're fluid, <laughs> kind of like some people think gender is, but I don't. Um, but the introverted, extroverted thing is fluid. At different times in your life and at different moments in your life, your personality does change. Your personality is not genetic. Your personality is not um, innate, and it's not stat. It's not static. It's dynamic. It's fluid. It changes the way that you see the world, the way that you want to be seen by people. And so sometimes you are going to be pretty shy and sometimes you're going to feel more outgoing. And what you really need to do if you're a young man uh, who is in college, for example, or who is not around other people, has kind of been kind of closed off from the rest of the world, you've got to put yourself out there. It's hard. It's difficult. But since when was anything good easy? So, you know, if you're shy or you're introverted, what are you into? What do you like? Do you like, you know, playing Magic the Gathering? Do you like shooting? Do you like playing cards? Do you like hiking or running or lifting weights? Find the things that you like to do and just go do those things. Go sign up for a karate class. And, and if you don't know what you like to do, which is also one of the things, especially with younger men, they don't know. The only thing they know is hanging out in their room and playing video games because that's all they've done. And and it's not, I, I don't say that to, to belittle. It's just that's kind of what has happened culturally, the spot that we're at. So you don't want to be lonely. You want to make some friends. And unfortunately, a lot of the other guys are in the same boat as you. So you're going to have to break out of your shell a little bit. You're going to have to push yourself. You're going to have to stretch yourself. Um, if we're talking about exercise, it's the same thing. If you want to get stronger, you've got to lift heavier weights and you've got to push yourself and get uncomfortable. And you need to do a little bit of that. So find something that you either like to do 
or that you want to like to do. So maybe it's a karate class or maybe it's a music class. Maybe it's an audition for a band or, or maybe it's something. Maybe it's going on a date. Just put it out there. Try it. Go do something. Sign up for one of the intramural sports. Go get a gym membership and start working out at the gym. And talking to people. Ask some questions of people. I think this is really going to help you. Because when you do it, yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, you don't like the putting yourself out there part. I don't like sweating in the gym when I'm lifting weights and it hurts. I don't like pushing myself, but when you push yourself, that's when you get stronger. And so this is a muscle that you have to strengthen by putting yourself out there a little bit and finding things and trying some things. And you're like, okay, well, I didn't realize how much I like painting until I started painting. I didn't know I liked that and I really enjoy it. Find something that will, that, that people gather around and then go to that thing. Here's one thing I recommend you don't do. Don't just go to the bar and start drinking. Don't just go to frat parties and start drinking. Don't just go out in the woods to keggers and start drinking or doing drugs or whatever, okay? And I'm not here to say, you know, that you should never do any of those things. That's not necessarily my place, although I think drugs are bad. But um, don't make the thing that you do something that numbs you from the experience of doing it. I think that that's dangerous, and I think that that has the potential of becoming an addiction rather than just uh, a social gathering. And so, you know, identify the people that you know that you don't want to be around and don't be around those people, but find something that gives you the opportunity to connect with people and to build some friendships. Now, another thing I'll tell you for the loneliness crowd, since we were talking about society earlier, this is something that society has created. Um, you know, we get our concept of school and of education from the German model. And the German model of education, really where the word school comes from, it comes from a German word from this German uh, model from the, the turn of the last century where they needed soldiers and they needed factory workers uh, in the Industrial Revolution. And, and they basically said, we're going to design a system where children are indoctrinated <laughs> so that they can become good factory workers and good soldiers. And... It has carried on and continued because it's probably the best institutional way that we have to do education. And you, from the time that you were raised, born until the time, well, probably about the, from the time that you were in kindergarten until the time you graduated college, you've been lumped together with people that are within one to two years of your age, your whole life. You were a first grader and you hung out with first graders. You were an 8th grader and you hung out with 8th graders. You were a freshman in college and you pretty much hung out with freshmen in college. Things might start to break down a little bit, but one to four years really is the age limit of the people that you spend time with. Out here in the real world, that's ridiculous. I hear all the time people say, I just need some guys my own age. No, you don't. You need some old guys in your life. Go hang out with them old guys. You know, you need some young guys in your life. Go hang out with some young guys. You know, if you're in your 30s, go hang out with some dudes in their 20s. <laughs> you know, uh, in a way that is appropriate, maybe hang out with some teenagers, you know. Uh, make sure it's appropriate. You don't want to be, you know, corrupting minors or, you know, causing problems. <laughs> you know, but, you know, if you're a, if you're a guy and you're in your 30s, you go hang out with some guy in his 50s and 60s. 
He's going to be rejuvenated by having somebody young and dumb around. And you're going to get to learn from somebody who's been through things. I think this is something that we've got to break down those barriers for. Because the truth is, especially people who are younger don't see this yet. Because they haven't been separated enough from that friends my own age mentality. Look towards the future and recognize that in the rest of your life, your friends will not be your own age. You might have a couple. And have friends that you can learn from because they're older and they're more mature. And have friends that you can kind of mentor who are younger. That is going to help you. And it opens up the possibility so that you're not quite so lonely. Also, again, going back to the original question, uh, which referenced college as an example. Get off campus. Get off campus. Go do something in the community. Because that's where you're really going to make connections. And it's not going to be a little bubble. You know, get involved with a church. Get involved with a men's group. Get involved with a, a social club. Like the Lions Club or like a service club. Where you're doing good deeds for people. Get involved with something. You'll, you'll make friends that way. Just put yourself out there. And I know it's not easy. But again, when has anything good ever been easy? So we've got some other questions. I might actually read a couple questions that I don't answer because I think some of these might need a little bit of research. One question is, what does a man want from women today without lying about it? And what do women want from men today without lying? So I, I want to say this one. I don't know what, uh, what women want from men. <laughs> I mean, I think I know a little bit. Um, I mean, I've been married for, you know, 25 years, but I still, you know, I'm still figuring that one out. I know what I want from my woman. I don't know what I want from other women. Um, what I want from my woman is love and support and, uh, her to remind me when it's trash day to put the trash out because <laughs> I'm going to forget, you know, um, this is a good question for you guys to discuss in the man cave. Cause I, I, uh, I've been, you know, I don't know my, my life and my relationship with my wife. I mean, it's, we're 25 years in, you know, I just want to have time with her, you know? Um, and I have no idea what, I think what women want from men typically is security and they want, they want love. They want to feel loved. I know that men typically want to feel respected. That's some things. I think those are good answers. I think we could de delve deeper into this and I think I'd rather do some research. You know what I'd like to do guys? I'd like to ask this question to my wife. So maybe later on in this season, I'll bring my wife on the podcast and we'll ask her this question. Uh, and then we can have a, a better discussion. Uh, maybe we can get some other women to help weigh in on that answer too. So I'll see what we can do about that. We'll answer that one later. Uh, here's another great question, guys. Where should a man find his identity? Now, let me start by telling you where not to find your identity. Don't make your identity about what you do. This is something that we men fail at a lot. If you're a plumber, that's your profession. That's something you do. And you might introduce yourself as Joe, the plumber. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm a plumber. But that's not who you are. You know, what happens if you're in a horrible accident and you lose the use of your hands? Are you still a plumber? And does that affect who you are? 
it's so important to make sure that our identity is firmly rooted in the right place. Now, I'm a Christian, and so, you know, I view the world through that lens. And so for me, my identity uh, is that, you know, I, I the, the main source of my identity, because I think we have multiple sources of our identity, multiple places we pull some of our identity from. But I, I identify as a child of God. And my my the the me that I want to be is the person who lives that out, the person who lives to be more like Jesus. That's that's what I want my identity to be, to be and what I strive for it to be, and that's where I get the the fullness of hope, is knowing that my dad is God, not my earthly dad, but you know I have a heavenly father, and that that gives me a source of identity. I do think um, another source of your identity has to do with your family. Uh, if you've got a good family, that's easier. If you've got a bad family, that's harder. I've got a, I had a great father. And so I identify as a hatcher, you know, I identify, uh, as the son of Yogi and, um, you know, that's an identity that, that I, I can take pride in, but you might have, you might be someone whose identity is that you are part of your identity might be that you're a son of, of, uh, alcoholic, and that might be a really hard thing to say or, or it might be painful to admit and to talk about. At the same time, knowing that you are the son of an alcoholic actually says about you that you're an overcomer and that you work hard to overcome the trauma and the struggle and the, the hardship that you went through. And so, you know, our, our identities are complex and they are things that we pull from multiple sources. I know that I identify as a man because I am a man, <laughs> I think that sometimes uh, in our current culture, there is a pull to make identity about your sexual preference, to make identity a matter of what you imagine your gender to be. Um, we pull identity from all kinds of sources, and we have what we call identity politics, where you... Um, your identity trumps everyone else's identity. And this happens on multiple sides of things, right? Christianity, it happens, you know, like any kind of special interest where people make something a part of their identity and then decide that it's up to them to make everybody else conform to that and recognize that. I think we're not doing ourselves a service if we're camping out there, guys. I think that, you know, the most important thing about your identity, really, it, it's going to come from not what you do, but I think it comes from who you are and whose you are. And I think that that's really uh, the core of it. So that that's my, my thing to think about, who you are and whose you are. And if you don't know the answers to those questions, here's the fun part. I think discovering that, what is your purpose? What is your mission in life? What is, what are your goals? What are your values? What is your vision? That working through that process gives you and helps you fully understand your identity more. And I think it's, I think it's a powerful thing. Uh, another couple questions here. Is our country the modern day equivalent of Sodom and Gomorrah? Also related question. Would our country be better off being under a Christian theocracy? So. Is our country the modern-day equivalent of Sodom and Gomorrah? Possibly. I also know it's important to know that, you know, 
the ultimate sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, according to the Bible, which, by the way, if anybody doesn't know what Sodom and Gomorrah is, it's two cities in the Old Testament that God destroyed because of their wickedness. And later on in the Bible, it also refers to their sin as pride. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was a wicked place. And they did wicked things. Now, some people have equated all of that wickedness to homosexuality. And I think if that's the case, you know, I, I, that was present there. And that was part of what happened in that story. But that's not the entirety of the story. It was a wicked place where people had cast off restraint and where they were they were raping people. They, they, they went to this house. The men of the city went to the house and they wanted to, to rape the angels. And then, uh, yeah, it was a mess. It was a mess. Um, but are we in that modern-day equivalent? I, I think if we were, I think God would send down uh, fire and lightning and destroy us. And he hasn't yet. Um, so I don't know if we're in that equivalent yet. But I do know that our culture, our country and our culture, it's not just our, our country, um, is has turned far away from the, the, the values that it once held. Would our country be better off living under a Christian theocracy? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I think that part of the beauty of what makes America great and will make it great again <laughs> is when we have freedom. Uh, it was meant to be, yes, it was founded by Christians with Christian values. Our Western civilization was founded under Judeo-Christian ethics. Now, whether or not they always got it right is another story. I mean, we look at slavery. We look at, you know, even some of the things that happened in the westward expansion and the way we treated people. And, you know, we weren't always the good guys. You know, that's a painful thing to say these days. You can look at history, even recent history, and see things that are declassified CIA and FBI files and other government files from like the past 50 years, 100 years, and especially the past 50 years. You can see we're not always the good guys. Um, so our culture may have been founded with Judeo-Christian ethics. Our country may have been founded with that, but we are not that anymore. I do think there's a remnant that has that. I think there's people that still believe. There are people um, who don't even believe in God, but they understand that Western civilization and the 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 ethics, the morals are good. Um, I don't believe that our country would be better off mandating that everyone follow Christianity. Uh, and while, like I said, our country was founded uh, with Christian principles, one of those Christian principles is freedom and free will. And religious freedom and freedom of speech, those freedoms are what made our country great. The ability to choose it if you wanted to, and to not choose it if you didn't want to. The problem we have today is that culturally we have lost our sense of morality. We've lost our sense of values. And that is why we're in a place where we have cast off restraint and people are doing things they shouldn't do. And they're treating people in ways they shouldn't treat them. And we have corporations who rule to make more money and they affect the government and we have uh, people in power in the government who are dishonest and who lie and the world has fallen apart. Uh, I don't think that it's a top-down theocracy model that fixes it, which goes back to something we said earlier. I think it comes down to 
Who's in your life? And can you make a difference in that person's life? And I think if we all do that, things are going to get better. I don't think the top-down approach works. I think that's why we're in the situation we're in. I think the bottom out, <laughs> honestly, you know, if we're looking, if we're talking about Christianity, isn't that what Jesus did? He was under a, an oppressive Roman government and he came along and one guy made a difference in the life of 12 guys and that spread. So maybe we ought to think about things in that perspective rather than thinking about it changing it at the top because you change it at the top and then somebody gets it wrong and they mess it all up for everybody uh another question is there really such a thing as toxic masculinity i think i've talked about this before but i'll talk about it again the term toxic masculinity was coined to refer to a specific thing and that's that bullying behavior that men do where we don't allow each other to feel anything or to have emotions and we um we pick on people and push them around and we abuse women and i don't mean we like me but i mean where men can do those things and not all men obviously do those things um the term was coined to refer to that kind of behavior where you just tell men to man up and by that you mean don't cry don't be don't be you know a wimp and you know, I mean, the term is a real thing. You know, it exists. The, re the reason that the term was coined was for that. But honestly, I would say those behaviors are toxic behaviors and not masculine behaviors. I don't think that it's masculine to push a kid around and to tell him off and to, to, to do things to him you shouldn't do, you know, or to treat women with less respect. I don't think those things are, are masculine. I think that's just toxic. So I personally don't like the phrase because I think what it has done is it has created a situation in our culture where you hear toxic masculinity more than you just hear about masculinity. And I think that's dangerous. It's a good thing to be masculine. It's a bad thing to be toxic. Problem solved. Uh, this is a question I don't know the answer to. Uh, this guy asks, how do you care for the kids when mom can't or won't? I, I think he's talking about like a mother who is not willing to take care of her kids. That's neglectful. Um, I don't know if he's talking about like a disability or not. I'm not sure on, on what he intends, but if he's talking about, you know, let's say you're, you're the man of the house and your wife is refusing to help with the kids, refusing to take care of them, and she's neglectful. Um, first of all, the first thing you do is you step up and you have to make sure those kids are taken care of. The second thing you need to do is you need to have some very real and very serious conversations about what is involved here and what's going on. It sounds like um, maybe she has some some... You know, she might have some mental health problems where she's she doesn't have the ability to attach and bond to her children the way she should. Or it could just be she's trying her best and she's overwhelmed and she needs your help. That could be one of the things that might put you in this situation. Um, and so you should step up. You know, I mean, I, I say a good man helps change his, his baby's diapers, you know, and a good man 
helps feed the baby at night sometimes if he can, you know, I mean, I think that's important to help take care of things, um, so that she doesn't have to do all of it, especially if she has to work, you know, uh, you know, if she's working a job and you're working a job, you both have to split the housework, <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, if she's staying home and she's not getting anything done and she's not taking care of the kids, that's a different issue. And if that's what you're referring to, I would definitely encourage you to talk through it and find out if there's something wrong. What is it that's wrong? Does she need some mental health help? Does she need some physical help to help her? You know, maybe she's got a health problem and she needs some help. Um, work, work through that and, and, and get to the bottom of that issue and then, you know, find out what, what you need to do. And I will say, as the husband, you are a leader. I say a leader because I believe she is a leader too. And if, if you know, I do believe that. I believe that you lead together. But step up and say, okay, what do we need to do? Let, let's work through this. Be the one to have the hard conversation. But don't come in just demanding. Just say, how can I help? What's going on here? And get to the root of it. You might need to hire a professional counselor to sit down and work through some of these issues. Don't make it about... Um, demanding everything that needs to get done, but just make it about getting to the root of what's going on. If you care about her, you'll find out and you'll help her out. All right, guys, last question. So uh, Kurt asked this question. He said, how to stay? And I said, I don't understand what you're asking. <laughs> and this is his response. We're always wandering off mentally, emotionally, spiritually, losing our f faith focus, forgetting our promises, getting tempted away, coveting, lusting, Fearing, doubting, making, taking control of situations we have no business being in control of or walking away from things God has given us responsibility to oversee. Going places we should not and leaving places emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically where we should stay. Yeah, there's a lot there, man. Um, so how do you stay? I don't know if I can answer all of these questions because there's a lot. There's a lot here. But I think the thing that really matters is perseverance. Stick with it. Do what you're supposed to do. That's the first answer. And then the next part is this. When you screw up, because you will, just dust yourself off and get back in it. You know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be perfect and to have it all together. And then we beat ourselves up when we screw it up. I'm not saying that that's a license to do whatever you want and just to not stay, to use your own your words in your question here. I do think we need to stay, right? And we need to persevere when you fail. Learn from it. Forgive yourself, seek forgiveness. Then make it right. And get back to work. It's not. Um, it's not about. How to stay. It's about how to keep coming back. You know. Uh, I, I think that our journey. Is not about. You know. Getting from point A. To point B. Perfectly. I think we want to try that. You know, we want to travel that straight line because the shortest and simple, well, the shortest distance between any two points is a straight line. But the truth of the matter is, there's going to be all kinds of obstacles between point A and point B. 
And there's going to be situations where we take wrong turns, where we get tired and we sit down and we take a nap and we go the wrong way. We lose our way. Like you said, we, we lose our, our focus or we forget our promises or we take control of things we shouldn't take control of. We let go of things we should be holding on to. That's the nature of the human experience, dude. I'm not saying we have to settle for less. Because you don't. You want to strive to be better today than you were yesterday. You're moving forward. Like, it's not so much about how do I stay? How do I stay on track? It's about how do I how do I get back on track when I screw it up? And it's about how do I not feel like a failure when I fail? I mean, sometimes feeling like a failure is actually a good thing. Right? You failed, and then you feel the failure, and it sucks. And you don't want to feel that again. So then you make the changes so that you don't fail that way again. You're going to fail again, but maybe not in that way again. I think that's really the key is like, give yourself the grace to know that nobody gets there in a straight line. So try your best. And when you screw up, pick yourself up off, pick yourself up off the ground, dust yourself off. If you need spiritual help to pick yourself up, ask God to help pick you up. If you need a friend to help pick you up, you ask him to help pick you up. You get back on track and you do the right thing. Um, I think instead of thinking about it long term too, how do I stay today? You know, the recovery community talks a lot about one day at a time. And some of my friends that are in that recovery community, as I talk to them, they're like, I'm worried about one minute at a time. What are you going to do right now? And what are you going to do today? And what are you going to do tomorrow? Okay, I know what I want to do tomorrow, but I'll worry about it then. I think that's going to give you a lot of freedom and a lot less worry. You know, we should try to anticipate our regrets, to quote my friend Andy. You know, we don't want to regret something. We want to think about what we're going to regret so that we make that change now. But the truth is we're going to have some regrets. We're going to make some mistakes. If you don't make any mistakes, I don't trust you <laughs> because you're not telling me the truth, which is a mistake. So do your best. Nobody's asking you for more than that. Do your best. And when you mess it up, get back on. Anyway, guys, I really appreciate you guys giving me your questions here at Ask a Man. If you have other questions, by the way, you can go to manlyhood.com slash ask. And you can send your questions in. And uh, if I get any good questions there, we'll try to answer them on a future uh, installment of Ask a Man here on the Manlyhood Mancast. Listen, uh, these questions, again, were taken from the Manlyhood Man Cave, which is our private Facebook group for men. So if you want to be a part of that, I'd love to have you there. Just go in and, and ask for permission to join the group, and there'll, there'll be a couple questions, and we'll get you in the group. Guys, if you appreciate this podcast, share it with a friend. Tell a friend about it. Let's spread the word about what's happening here at Manlyhood. I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'll see you next time.